Okay. And I just want to read it for you because I, I, I keep coming back to it. it just, it's real simple. You've maybe even thought of it yourself. It's this. God is still almighty. Jesus is still Lord. We don't know the future, but he does. And we still are his agents for good. We still are, are part of that. That's what we're about. And that's that we, we don't know how he's going to use us. He doesn't, we don't know how he's going to use this time where we're separated, but we're out there in our little cells and groups but we know that he's going to, and we know that he's going to, to um, make all things new. And I think it's okay to have a little humor on the way, a little encouragement on the way. I, had a, uh, I, was, I was texted a picture the other day, and it was from a millennial, so it's kind of dated, but I think it's okay. It's these guys, and they say, you know, uh, due to the coronavirus, I no longer want to hold your hand. So if you don't know what that means, if you're of the generation that knew not John and Paul, just go back and Google the Beatles, okay, and it'll explain everything. But the reality is, is that we aren't just about, you know, what the cultural feel-good moments are. We're about, you know, what does Jesus really want to tell us in this moment? And what's interesting is, is I don't, I don't believe that anything's an accident. Like when we make ministry plans about what scriptures we're going to go through, what days, I don't think it's an accident that we, with all the discombobulation of this ministry plan this year, that we come to this text today. You see, with, between what Ben did last week and what we're gonna share together uh, this week, this is the pivotal moment, this is the turning point in the gospel. This is where it starts to get real, this is where it starts to get down to us and to, to uh, our lives and our need for salvation. This is where everything turns. And what's interesting is, as we go through this, and as I was studying this this week, I, I think this is the turning point for us, for you and me. It's the turning point, this, what Jesus is going to teach us, this is the hinge, this is the turning point of this crisis moment that the, the world is in right now, and that the church is in right now. And uh, it's called the way of the cross. This is the first time Jesus, uh, first time of three times that Jesus talks about the fact that he's going to go to the cross. And in the midst of, of, uh, of that, it's called, we've come to call it the way of the cross, if you will. But really, it's, it's um, the way in which he is going to transform every, everything and make sense even now, not waiting till later, how he's going to make sense of the difficulties and even the sufferings of our lives now. It's, it's Jesus translating his way. This is not just the way of the cross, it's the way of Jesus. And it's, it's how he's going to translate what he has imagined can be possible for our lives right now, in this moment. In fact, turn in your Bibles, uh, hopefully you've got them, or open up your phone to Mark chapter uh, 8, and we're going to start reading in uh, uh, verse 31 of Mark chapter 8, and uh, going to just kind of walk through this and, and see what you think about uh, how, how apropos this is for our lives, because as I'm studying this, I'm thinking... He had us do this right now. I mean, I'll just make this little commercial. Uh, next week, we may start sort of a mini-series for this time, however long it is. I mean, we're going to live stream as long as we can, but even if we can't live stream, we're going to put a service up so you can do this in your living room every day, uh, every Sunday, every weekend, or whenever you can find the time to do it. But uh, what, what we're finding here, and the reason I wanted to stay with Mark today is because uh, I think this is exactly what he wanted to say to us. Listen to this. Verse 31. 
And he, that is Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Now, we'll just stop right there. That's, that's kind of a weird thing to tell his disciples if he's trying to encourage them, isn't it? I mean, uh, this is the first, as I said, of three predictions of his passion. But what Jesus is doing here is he's taking on the... the, the um, the title of Messiah, of Savior of the world, but he's not accepting what people think that that's supposed to look like. What he's doing is he's, he's redefining, practically speaking, what that means in his life and in our life. And, and, and Jesus explains that life isn't going to be a breeze, even for people who follow him, it, that, that uh, in a very real way, um, uh, the way of Jesus does have suffering in it. And, th and think specifically about Jesus' kind of suffering. He says it's the elders and the chief priests that are going to do this. So think about what that means. In Jesus' time, and as the disciples are hearing this, it's not the, um, it's not the big bad evil people out there who just kind of bumble along and the, oops, I made a mistake, so it really hurts somebody else and so forth. No, this isn't the worst of humanity that's going to do this to him. This is the best of humanity that's going to do this to him. This is people who are, you know, the, the greatest legal system in the history of the world up to that point, the Roman legal system. This is the, the, the Jewish lawyers, the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, the religious leaders weren't going to just somehow kind of bump into this and accidentally do this. They've been, by the time they crucified Jesus, they will have been planning this for three years. And they, it wasn't just on a whim. It was, it was the fact that even the best of, of people, the, the people that we think are going to save the world, those are the people that are going to do this. And Jesus says, no, they're going to cause it to be a reality that I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to die. But what he's saying this for is to say it's, it's all a part of God's plan. He's all got this. He's got all of this. And, and what we find out something along the way that's really important for our lives, and it's playing out here on the earth before our lives. What is the way of the cross? The way of the cross uh, is uh, defined by a large denomination in our world today as a sort of a prayer station kind of thing. It's based on the, the uh, Via Della Rosa in Jerusalem. In fact, when we go to Israel, uh, we go to the Via Della Rosa, we see the signs of the way of the cross, okay? And it's a prayer stations, which is a, a good idea, but the reality is it means much more than that. It means something to us in the way we live our lives now, right here, because the reality is you and I are much closer to the cross we're much closer to the struggle that Jesus is about to go through now, today, than we were two, year, two, two weeks ago, right? Even a week ago. And, and so we're right there with Jesus in this sense. And, and what, what's shocking about this is, is the suffering of Jesus, as shocking and as offensive as it might be, it is an integral part of uh, the nature of Jesus, it's the, it's the integral part of who the Messiah is and how God is going to save us and how God is going to change the world. And it doesn't mean we should go looking for it. Jesus is not celebrating the suffering. Oh, no, not at all. He's not saying, oh, I'm looking for it. But he is saying, look, God's in control of this. And there, there is there's something going to come from the suffering. And, and here's the thing. Suffering is the tip of the spear, of Jesus' spear, with which he's going to slay the devil. You see, the, that's the nature of the gospel story. It's, it's a, it, the very suffering that Jesus and his people go through. It, it takes the sting out of death. 
His very suffering makes it possible to have a relationship with God. It makes it possible to conquer evil at its own game. In other words, Satan thinks he's got Jesus and got his people and his followers right where he wants them at this point. He probably thinks he's got us right where he wants us at this point. But what he continually forgets, what he does not understand, is that we learn something here about the way Jesus takes out the devil and takes down evil. He doesn't do it simply by taking it all away in one fell swoop. No, he wants to save the whole world, not just the part, different parts of it. He wants to save as many people as will come. So it's not just by wiping it off the map or taking his people out of it. No, it's by bringing his people through it in such a way as to make the, mani- the, the, the evil and Satan himself meaningless. That's exactly what he did with the cross. He took the took the, meaning, the, the, the purpose and, and, and the whole idea of how, what a great, powerful being Satan thought he was, and he just cut it to pieces by going to the cross and dying. And that's why I say it's the tip of the spear. Now, it's important to think at this point about when we're talking about suffering, that there are a lot of people suffering in this world right now besides us, right? There, there are a lot of people suffering uh, uh, physically, to be sure, but across the globe, people are suffering through fear and anxiety and frustration. And granted, we as Americans are not suffering at the level of, say, the Italians or the Iranians at this point on this. We're not suffering uh, like Africans or, or the people of India who, you know, struggle to find food in, in some parts of that part of the world. Uh, in a, but in a very real way, we're all suffering. And here's, here's one of the things that this suffering is doing for us that's actually, I think, a good thing. Not, again, not that we go seek it, but when it comes, we ought to celebrate this good thing. And it is this, the realization for all of us no matter what color our skin, no matter what country we live in, no matter where we are, what time we live, in moments like these, we have a realization that we are not in control. That we really are um, people who can't really define our own destiny. And, and that's, that's important to realize because it has to do with how you, how you, you live your life. That, 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 that there's something bigger. I mean, if a little virus can take down the globe to its knees, then that must mean God, as whoever he is and wherever he is, even if a person that doesn't believe in him, man, must be bigger, must be greater, must be more powerful. You see, we are beyond, uh, the, the feeling that we're somehow beyond all this is, has been kind of taken right off the table. You know, I, I have a reminder of this all the time now when I use this. You, uh, is hand sanitizer, of course. Um, you probably thought I had it up here because I thought I was going to give myself germs while I'm doing this, but that's, that's not it. Uh, it's just a good reminder. Every time I use this, you know what I think of? I think of my trips to Kenya because I use this all the time when I go to Kenya. Why? Because I'm from a developed part of the world. I take my malaria medicine and I take my hand sanitizer and I'm safe. And at some point in every trip, I have this realization that I have right now that really, you know, it is not in hand sanitizer I trust. It is in God I trust. Because he's really the only one that has the power. He, he's the only one that has the, has the right to say, I'm in control of even this. Even the suffering. And I'm even going to turn it on 
evil, and I'm going to turn it around for that. You see, that, what that also means is, because he's not taking us out of it, but we're living, he's taking us through it. It means that, you know, far from abandoning us, he has not abandoned us at all. His presence, as he, as, uh, he told, uh, as, as Peter said, his, his um, apostle in his letter, said, you know, he's, we have his word made more sure. He's closer to us. His presence is more real to us than even for them in many cases, his, his original disciples. And, and so he's, he hasn't abandoned us, but he has placed us and walked with us in exactly the place that he needs us to be so that he can show the world through us who he is. And he can show the world the power and the might of what he can do even in the darkest situation, even when the whole world thinks all is lost. Now, that's, that's the reality. This is, and the reason I bring all this up is just to say, you know, that's what it means to be resilient, to have that attitude, to have that view, that that's who we follow. And this is, this is a historical moment. It hasn't been like this ever, with the possible exception of maybe World War II, and, and those of us who are old enough to remember that, which, by the way, I am not. But the reality is, is that in our lifetime, this is, this is pretty much it. I mean, it's even bigger than many of the horrible disasters that we've had in this country. But it is a, a very, it's the very thing Jesus will use to triumph of good over evil, will, will use as a turning point for the world. It's because of his cross. You know, there's a, a great saint who went through a great deal of, of suffering, and saint, by saint I mean uh, someone who was a believer in Jesus, who was a, used of Jesus in a powerful way. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a, uh, arrested by the Nazis in World War II, and just before the Allies showed up, he was actually executed. But while he was in uh, prison, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he talked about this very thing, about the way of the cross. I want you to listen to this. Look at this uh, on your screen. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering, which every man must experience, is, to call, uh, is the call to abandon the attachments to this world. Okay, so this is not the first suffering we've had if we're believers in Jesus. The first suffering we had was to, to abandon the idea that we can rely on the things of this world to save us and to help us. We know differently now. That's, that's sort of the shock and the surprise, but the immediate uplift is this, thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end, otherwise God-fearing happy life. It's not, he doesn't give it to us at the end. He gives it at the, at the, at the beginning so that it isn't, isn't a terrible life. Then he meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. What this means is, is when we are actually detached from the idea that we can rely on our own ingenuity, that we can rely on the things of this world, there's a tremendous amount of freedom in that. And you see, Satan thinks that he's got Jesus right where he wants him, right where he wants, got us right where he wants us. But the very fact is, that's just the beginning of his demise because he doesn't see it coming. That's why Jesus brings up his suffering to his disciples and why he's going to say it again three times. It's also a setup so that he can say the next thing that he has to say. And here it is. He says that he will be uh, killed by the, the chief priests and the elders. And in three days, he will rise again. After three days, he's going to rise again. You see... That ultimately, evil does not win. At the end of the day, good wins. 
At the end of the day, real love wins. At the end of the day, life overcomes. And of course, this is the perfect setup for what we're, uh, you know, destined to celebrate in a few weeks, Easter. And by the way, let me just say, if we are not meeting together as Easter, we will meet together as East, for Easter at some point in this year. You know, the church kind of picked that day anyway, so we might pick a new day this year. We'll see. But the reality is we are going to have that celebration of the rising just the same. Because the rising of Jesus is a, is, was an amazing day, but it was an amazing day that sets up many, many more other days of the rising of Jesus' people and of the renewal that happens in Jesus' people. I, I was thinking this, this week, and this is kind of a silly thing to think about unless you're kind of into this sort of thing like I am. Um, the, the last Avengers movie that was last year, geez, about this time uh, in the spring, last year the blockbuster season started and they had a blockbuster which was supposed to be the last iteration of the Avengers, right? It was called Endgame. And uh, please understand me, uh, you know, when I say that maybe, what if it's more than a cartoon? I, I, I don't believe that like Captain America and, and Iron Man are going to walk through the door, although that would be pretty cool. But that's not, not I know they're, make, uh, they're make-believe characters, okay? So, but Endgame was interesting because what's interesting about it is it follows the same storyline as the gospel. But it's not just Endgame. Any story that's compelling to us follows the same storyline in the gospel. It's almost like the gospel itself, the, 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 the death and resurrection of Jesus, it's almost like that's the first story and every other story has to copy it because that's what grips our soul. That's what every human being longs for. That, that downward turn of all hope is lost, it can't be possible, and then all of a sudden, surprise, boom, there's a rising at the end. What that means is, is God's got an end game for every bit of suffering, just like his suffering had an end game. It has, the, the, the end game is, uh, there is an end game to Jesus' way, the way of the cross. When you walk through the suffering, there's an end game at the end. There's a rising at the end. And again, no matter who we are, where we live, what time we live, that's the longing of every person. I've been reading this week a, this, a screenplay that a, a friend of mine asked me to read before he submitted it, and not because I know anything about screenplays, please understand me. I, I'm a pretty good typo catcher, though. That's why, why I'm reading this. But I, I'm reading this thing, and, and it was exactly like that. I, I couldn't really put it down. I mean, I had to because I had to go to sleep. But, but I, I kept reading it every night until I got this thing done because it was so compelling because there was this, that same kind of parabola, that downturn, all hope was lost. In fact, this has so many twists at the end that were like, all hope is lost. No, it's not. Oh, yeah, it is. No, it's not. Oh, yeah, it is. And then at the end, there's this thing that happens that changes everything for the future of the world. It was, had nothing to do with the Bible, nothing, any of that, and yet it was the same storyline. And that is, in fact, what the gospel is. It's the story of, of what Jesus does in our lives every moment, every day, and in every historical moment, is it not? And that's why it's so important for you and I to live like it. You and I to remind ourselves of it. You and I to live like that when our friends are worried and, 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 and yes, you know, comfort them and encourage them. But know and, and live in such a way that, that we have that sense of, you know what, Jesus has got this. Jesus is in charge. Jesus knows what, what he's doing. Uh, I, it's the exact same thing that's, that's a longing that's expressed in the New Testament over and over and over again. In fact, in, in the Apostle Paul's letters, uh, in the uh, you know, second two-thirds of the, the New Testament, like specifically the clearest place it's expressed, this idea of a, a rising at the end, the end game at the end. 
the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 8, and then uh, I'm going to skip to 10 and 11. Look, listen to what he says. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, there are some more important things. Verse 10, here's what he's longing for. Here's what he's going for. This is why he's willing to give up all that other stuff that he had. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by many me, any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, what Paul is talking about here is what he's saying here isn't just resurrection at the end of life. It is that, but it's about so much more. And, and you look at it, he says, uh, the, you know, the resurrection from the dead. What's he saying? He's saying, whatever doesn't last, that we will rise from whatever doesn't last. The suffering doesn't last. The death doesn't last. Because of what Jesus did in taking the spear, uh, tip of the spear of his suffering and jabbing it into the side of Satan, ultimately, yes, we will live forever. But it also means that we, in fact, can be people who see that kind of out-resurrection in our lives. That's, that's what the word resurrection means in, this, in the Greek. In this, it means out-resurrection. It means there's this, this power that pushes us out. Does it mean it takes us out of the evil experience or out of this fallen world? Well, no, not until we ultimately leave it. But it does mean that we can get out and beyond it, that, that, that evil can't hold us, that evil can't keep us. You know, I, I, you, you all know me now, uh, if you've been around Eastridge very much, that I, I'm kind of odd in that I like history and so forth, you know, just about the time they're taking all the history classes out of, out of uh, uh, you know, college education and so forth. Uh, I, I just uh, kind of eat that stuff up. And, and one of the things that this whole situation has made me think about is I think to myself, I wonder how I would react if I was a first century, second century, third century Christian. I mean, way back then. Because the world was sure different in the pre-Christian era than it was in the it now, than it is now in the post-Christian era. But there are some similarities. Uh, for example, they, you know, in the pre-Christian era, they had all these, these, uh, suff these uh, persecutions. And, you, you begin to, and, and they have all these plagues. And you wonder, you know, these little dots of, of uh, churches around and Jesus' people around, little groups and gatherings. How in the world did it make it all the way to us? How in the world did they get past that? How in the world uh, did they get beyond that? Well, I kind of stumbled on a book that I've been reading during this time, and if, if you like history at all, this sort of reads as a story. It's called Resilient Christians. I don't have a picture of it, but it just, or I mean, sorry, Resilient Faith. Uh, you can look it up on Amazon, Resilient Faith. It'll show up. It's by a guy named Gerald Setzer. Uh, and in there, he describes what was going on in the second and third century of Christians when Christianity really shot out of those centuries like a laser light that brought it all the way down to us and got, got, brought the gospel all the way down to us. You know what it was? It wasn't, uh, it, in that century, uh, those centuries, it wasn't some super church. It wasn't some conquering army that made everybody be a Christian. It wasn't some miracle where the whole world was healed and nobody could figure it out why it was. It was the plagues. It was in the midst of the plagues that the Christians took Jesus' words seriously, love one another as I have loved you, and they stayed and they took care of people in town while everybody else left. 
They, they stayed and, and cared for people when the pagan priests left town. And then when, by the time the pagan priests came back, uh, they, the peop, they thought they were going to set up shop in the temple, uh, their pagan temples again. They go, let's just go forward. And, and everybody said, no, 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 you don't get it. We're Christians now. Well, why? Because you left, they did not. And yeah, many of them sacrificed, even some of them sacrificed their lives. You say, well, wait a minute, Dwayne, we're supposed to social distance. And I'm saying to you, yes, please social distance. And as one person who's a prophet of uh, germ freakiness, do not touch your face and use hand sanitizer. But the reality is, is that, that by that very act of how we treat each other, whether we reach out over the internet, we have, we have things they did not have, right? We, we know about germs. We know about how transmission happens. We know about contagions. We know about all that. We also have an internet. We also have social media. We also have ways of touching one another's lives and, and FaceTiming and doing whatever else we need to do to, to reach out and to care for people that need it, people that are alone. And so I just encourage you to, to say, God, if there's somebody you want me to reach out to, just put them on my heart. Put them on my mind. Even in these, you know, two, three weeks, however long it lasts, period, when we're, when we're in our homes and, and in our houses. That, in fact, is doing, I think, what those Christians did that made uh, the gospel shine so brightly once everybody came back together and once everybody uh, was, was um, you know, at work again and all of those other things. Now, I've also, in my devotions during this time, because it just came up in my reading plan, been reading uh, the, the book of Esther in the Old Testament. You know, Esther is the story of Queen Esther, who was the, a Jewish woman, but she became queen uh, of the Persian uh, emperor, Artaxerxes. And uh, of course, the Jewish people were under a mandate of death. And the, one of the most, the most famous verse in the book of Esther is uh, chapter 4, verse 14, that says, uh, well, Mordecai, her uncle, has sent her a letter saying, hey, you need to talk to the king because how do you know you may have been put in that position just for just such a time as this? I've been thinking about that, just such a time as this. Uh, you know, maybe we've been placed here in this country, in this world, in this time, just for just such a time. As this. I love what Eugene Peterson has said when he's commenting on the book of Esther. He says, you can't eliminate God's people. No matter how many of them you kill, you can't get rid of, the, uh, rid of communities of God-honoring, God-serving, God-worshiping people scattered all over the earth. You see, they just keep coming back. I mean, as I've thought about this, it, it's almost made me feel sorry for secularists who are trying to get you know, Christianity into the back rooms, into the private sanctuaries, and not talked about in public. I mean, that we just keep coming back. It's got to be like a, a horror show for them. But that's the end game. And that's Jesus' goal. And that's Jesus' purpose uh, in, in, in our lives. And, and that's important to know because of where this story is going. Look at what happens next because uh, this is something that's often misunderstood and it's something that, you know... Um, I'm not even sure I can fully explain it, but let me, let me see if, if I can. So Jesus has just told him, uh, we've only made it through uh, verse 31. Let's get on to verse 32. He said, and he said this plainly. So he talked about it plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of God. Of man, Okay, you look at that, and that, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, he just called Peter one of his best guys, the guy who loves him, surely. Yeah, he sticks his foot in his mouth, but he calls him Satan. Well, 
what we see wrapped in here is a very important truth for us in times like this, but specifically so that we think ahead for when this is going to be over, because it will be over. Uh, we need to understand something, and, it, and it's, it's in this, this story. L let me just start with two words. When it says Jesus spoke boldly or, or plainly, it means he spoke boldly, confidently. We would say he put everything on the table. And, but what it doesn't translate is Jesus spoke boldly the word. That's in the text. It's ton lagan. It, Jesus spoke the word. What was he speaking? He was speaking the gospel. He was speaking God's plan. And so when Peter pulls him aside, Peter is, is, is trying to get him off of the plan. So that's something important to keep in mind. But first of all, let's understand that it's in times like these when we don't know what's going to happen, when we don't know what's going on, Jesus is not speaking any less plainly. He's speaking plainly. He's already spoken plainly. Just live my gospel. Just live the way I've taught you to live it. In your homes right now, in your social distancing, in the way you care for people, with the way you reach out uh, in those, those kinds of ways. And, and um, honestly, as I look at Peter pulling Jesus aside, I have to ask myself, I don't blame Peter because I think I would do the same thing. Here's why. If I had the power to just take the coronavirus away and wipe it all out and make everybody healed right now, whether it was God's plan or not to work through it and to do wondrous things, I think I'd do it. I just, I wouldn't, my mind wouldn't be there because honestly, I, I'm probably like a, a lot of you. I don't know where you're at, but I would probably do it. And Peter is just trying to say, no, 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 no. This, this can't be God's plan. God needs a new plan. And so Jesus uh, takes him aside. It's why, it's, he, what Peter's trying to do is to short circuit by taking part of the truth and then adding his idea to it. He, he's trying to short circuit the things of God and what God was up to in Jesus. And that was the problem. You see, Jesus wasn't calling him Satan in that sense. Jesus wasn't, um, you know, dissing his motivation and his love that Peter obviously had for him. He wasn't dissing that. He was, he was dissing where Peter was letting his mind go. And that's the thing that you and I need to think about, about where we let our minds go. You know, in the Old Testament, the the, um, the Hebrew word for Satan, uh, or the Hebrew word we get Satan from is in there, and, and it's pronounced Satan. It's the, same, it's the same spelling kind of thing, you know, different letters. It, it's pronounced the same way if you transliterate it in English. It's Satan, and it means adversary or destroyer. For example, in Second King, or First Kings 11, 14, uh, there's this king, an Edomite king named Hadad, and, and he is the Satan to Solomon. He's trying to destroy, he's trying to confuse, he's, tr he's making, making up lies, he's, he's trying to cause chaos, and that's what Satan does. That's what, 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 what he does. So, so Jesus is trying to warn us about taking the truth or a part of the truth and assuming that we can do one up on God and do it better than he can. And the reason I go into that is because there's all kinds of near truths and a near truth is a whole lie. Uh, a, a near truth, uh, what Jesus is trying to teach us and teach, um, teach uh, Peter is, is more dangerous than an obvious lie. More dangerous than obvious, why? Well, look at it in terms of like new age spirituality. New age spirituality or the thing we hear in daytime talk shows, it sounds so warm and so encouraging, doesn't it? In fact, a lot of times they'll use the same words to inculcate 
a different morality for the morality of, uh, they'll use the same words, the Christian words, the Judeo-Christian words that we get from the Bible, they use those same words to, to communicate or to articulate a different morality, which is, which is partly on, it's partly right, but, there's, but the focus on who's, who's in charge, the focus on who we're relying on, that's not right because it, it comes, brings it down to sort of the mannishness of man, the, sort of down to the human level. So what, what Peter is, or what Jesus is doing with Peter here is severe, no doubt. But it's a severe mercy to keep Peter from going down a trail that he will realize ultimately he does not want to go. It's like something else Jesus said where he said, uh, you, uh, you, you're either for me or against me. You're, you, there's no halvesies here. There's no sort of for me, sort of against me. There's none of, there's none of that here because that, that a near truth is more dangerous than a whole lie or, or a, 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 an obvious error. You know, I had that situation in my own life. It's one of the reasons why I'm here today following Jesus. Because I've told you before, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, sitting in the back uh, lobby of the church, my arms folded, watching church people go by, thinking how silly they were, because my parents made me go to church every Sunday and sometimes Sunday night. And I didn't like it. So our brand new youth pastor, I don't know how he did it. He came right out of the jungles of Vietnam, and within a month he was our youth pastor. It was freaky. But he had no fear, not even of a punk like me. And he came up to me in the lobby, folded his arms and said, you know, Jesus says you're either for me or against me. Which one are you? I said, you can't say that. He said, I just did. And he walked away. And it drove, it drove me crazy, that statement. I had to look it up in the Bible and there it was in the Bible. I go, oh, what, what's that about? And, and, and that was the thing that I finally had to confess to the Lord that, yeah, you know, I've been taking control of my life. You're really the one that should be in control and gave my life to him completely. Was I at that point, before I did that, was I possessed? No. Was I inculcating or, inculcating a, or inoculating other people with uh, another gospel? Probably yes. A sort of a half-truth gospel that it's possible to, to be a Christian and do that. Was I, in, was I doing it intentionally? No. Was I doing it selfishly? Yes. So my question is, is which is worse? And that's what Jesus is trying to save Peter from, and that's what my youth pastor tried to save me from, and he did. You see, on the positive side, you and I have no idea what our simple daily living in the way of Jesus will do during this time. We have no idea how powerfully we're touching people if we just simply follow him, have that attitude, have that hope. Yes, feel deeply about the suffering, and when we're hurting, we're hurting, and, and, and let's come around and surround the hurting, no doubt. No question about that. But we have no idea as we walk through that together how powerfully that's going to display. And on the other end, when there is another end, on the other end of this, and there will be an end, how is it that Jesus will do, what will Jesus do through and in us? And, and that brings us to the final passage that we're going to look at uh, today. And it it's, uh, begins at verse 34. Of, of Mark chapter 8, and it, it explains this whole way of the cross thing. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, so at that point, you go, they had to be going, the people had to be going, disciples had to be going, okay, what does it mean, the, you know, fall, take up your cross and follow me? And this is the thing I love about Jesus. He almost always explains it. Even when, you know, just like me, I, I don't get it. You know, the crazy disciples, they don't get it. He sits them down and says, well, let me explain this parable to you. He explains it to people. 
Still a little bit uh, uh, hard to take in some ways, but listen to this. Verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Is he talking about ultimate, you know, giving up our physical lives? No, I don't think he is. Ultimately, we do. But I think he's talking about, uh, you know, giving our lives over to him, just like we talked about not being attached to the ways of this world, Dietrich Bonhoeffer told us about. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels uh, will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man gain, give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the glory in the glory of his Father and of his holy angels. Look at that. When he comes with his holy angels. What is he saying? He's saying God is at work in this, in, all around us in the barely unseen realm all the time. He's at work and he's there and he's trying to encourage us with that reality. But I want to go back to Peter here. I mean, as Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you when I come back. I mean, that had to kind of grip Peter. After this, where Jesus, you know, kind of, you know, used the Satan word on him uh, after Jesus denies Jesus three times and then the cross and then Jesus meets Peter at the beach in John 21 and says three times, do you love me? Do you love me? And it says Peter's heart was broken. He said, yes, you know I love you at the third time. Uh, but, but after all of that, years later, decades later, it still had to kind of, uh, kind of grip him a little bit, but also lift him up at the same time, this business of picking up the way of the cross because it's like I was already on that cross because of my decisions and the things I went through and how I tried to follow Jesus and I just didn't know it. But you know, he knew I didn't know how. He didn't know what, I, what was going on. He knew what I needed. Now, because I think when he, when he would tell, when he, if he's the one that spoke into Mark when, he, when Mark wrote his gospel, which it's almost certainly he was the one that was, we've been saying, this had to break his heart, but at the same time cause him to recognize there was more going on that entire time than he even realized just like there is so much more going on in our lives that if we just focus on our struggle and how lonely we are or whatever when we're in our homes, that in itself will uh, um, you know, kind of blind us to what's really going on. And later on, Peter made a statement in, one, in his uh, first letter. And then Jesus' brother, James, who becomes a Christian after the resurrection, he makes the same statement. It's a quote from the Old Testament. And uh, it, it kind of puts this whole, you know, what does it mean to pick up your cross and follow him daily means. And, and Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, and then James in chapter 4, uh, verse 10, uh, says this. He says, uh, they quote uh, the words of the Old Testament and, and a sort of a paraphrase of the Old Testament. It says that, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. What does that mean? That means put yourself in a place, put yourself in a mindset that says, you know what, God, you are and I'm not. You're, you're him. Jesus, you're Jesus and you're the Lord and I'm not. You're the Lord God, I am not. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will raise you up. What is that? That's a resurrection. That's a resurrection of his people who are willing to humble themselves before him. What he's saying is, is this will end and this will come to, to pass. He's also saying a, a final principle that I hope we keep in mind, and that is this. Sacrifices for Jesus are not overshadowed uh, or, or, or are overshadowed by his rewards. 
Yes, ultimately the reward of eternity with him. But rewards here and now, every day, even every day, there will be these resurrection moments. There will be these moments in this time during this season when we're sort of sequestered or, or uh, on the other end of this when we're coming back, you know, into the, the world's coming back to life and so forth and so on. There's going to be uh, these moments where we're worried about this or we're worried about that and God's going to speak to our spirit and we need to live that out and lean into that and, and be a non-anxious presence for other people and so forth and so on because day by day he's going to do these resurrection moments and he is going to bring it back. You can't kill the church. You can't knock off. You can't cause God's people to cease to be and exist. And in the end, I think he's got a plan for this whole world. Yes, is he recalibrating right now what the world is up to and what's going on in the world? I think he is. I think he wants us to remember that. Because what he wants to ultimately bring it to is the last word that Jesus gives in this story. And it's the first verse of this next chapter, chapter 9, where he describes where it comes, all comes together. He says, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Okay, you may think, well, that's for the disciples. Well, no, I don't think so. I think it's for us too. Uh, and here's why I say that. You, you'll see the, the kingdom of God coming with power. Uh, uh, there's a lot of debate here about what this is referring to in terms of the immediate situation of the 12 apostles and the crowd that he's talking to. But, you know, some people say it's the transfiguration, which is the next story in Mark. But uh, for a lot of reasons, without getting into detail, I think a better candidate is for the cross and the resurrection, the death and the resurrection. Because not everybody there would see the transfiguration, but there would be a whole bunch of people that would see the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that, secondly, is exactly what Jesus has been talking about, his death and his resurrection. So what I think he's trying to give us the signal and trying to give them a signal, he's talking about the fact is that there's always a resurrection. That, you know, which could mean that we will have a resurrection power in our life too, just like Paul prays for and longs for in Philippians chapter 3. And every time, too, this, to, to, um, you know, that we can live the way of Jesus, that we can live the way of the cross while we're here on this earth. So let's just say it. Some of you here will see the kingdom of God come with power. <laughs> That's what he's saying and promising to us. And in the meantime, we need to remember the principles that he's taught us and telling us about this ahead of time. Because there will be, uh, there is a purpose for this. You know, the purpose of your life, there's a purpose for your life in this. Every day there may be a purpose. In fact, maybe you want to just open up every day before you get out of bed and say, Lord, what's your purpose for my life today? What do you have for me today? And just see what happens. Just see what he tells you. And secondly, you know, there is a resurrection now, in eternity, yeah, but now. There is a resurrection. There will be a resurrection. And we, again, we will celebrate the resurrection when we get back together. There's a true way with a capital T, a way that's true all the way through and through, not just half true. And third, fourthly, there's an awesome result. Think about this. Even this horrible situation and the suffering that's going on, this could change everything beyond what we dreamed possible. This is, you know... I don't wish for, we don't wish for suffering. Jesus doesn't wish for something either. But remember the promise in Romans 8, 28, that God even turns the bad stuff into good. 
That ultimately he'll take, uh, this is not in the scripture, this is in the Lord of the Rings, but that ultimately he'll take all the sad stuff and he'll make it work backwards. He'll change it. That's, that's the reality of what Jesus is promising here. There's more than the current crisis to think about. And thank goodness for that because we can think deeply about our neighbors. We can think deeply about how to love one another. And as we do that, according to John in the letter to 1 John, that's exactly how we love ourselves, by loving other people. That's exactly how we love God. So however this turns out, however this ends, we'll, we'll have a better idea in two to three weeks, but we won't know the end of it, or the completion of it. We'll, we'll know better in, in six weeks and so forth and so on. We'll know better as we go along and, and more and more will sort of be opened up to us. But I'm thinking about the end. How will people be new when we come back together when, we're, when, when, when things are, this thing is over? Does the world go, does it have to reset to its default position? Does, does you know, is it all the way back? What will we have learned and grown into in the way of Jesus? So how do we invite Jesus to ensure us that we don't slip back? How do we in, in, invite Jesus to show us his way through this moment, the way of the cross, yes, but the way of Jesus that he has reimagined for us, which has a resurrection at the end of it, has a resilience. It's a very definition of resilience. How do we live like that right now in this moment? I just have some suggestions and some ideas, and, and quite frankly, as a staff, we're, we're working really hard to keep these coming and stay communicated with you, and, and uh, that's why we're doing these live streams and why we'll continue to do services, whether they're live or not. We're going keep going. There's, there's a lot of people working on this because we love you and we can sense your love back. And so we're still the body of Christ. But as we're out there, as we're scattered, how do we do that? What do we do? Here's just some ideas to think about and put in, maybe take a picture on the screen of the screen as you're looking at it. Uh, first of all, know your purpose today. Ask him maybe what that is. Uh, know, know your true enemy. You know, you know, know uh, that it's not flesh and blood, it's not a political party, it's not, you know, who did what and who's, every, everybody's confused. Have you noticed that? Uh, this thing seems to be more powerful than governments of the world. And uh, it is. Secondly, take care of others. This is the wonderful time to be alive, to be able to care for others by reaching out and communicating and so forth and so on. Uh, Jordan has sent out uh, an email to group leaders about some of the things we've set up in terms of how you can care for the people in need, like physical need uh, right now, that we've got some conduits and some, some uh, ways to do that. And if you don't, haven't heard about that, call uh, your group leader, ask them to send it to you. If you, if you don't have a group, uh, either link up with one or, or, or ask us and we'll get you the information of how you can help. And send it to the Eastridge, or look at the Eastridge website about that. Uh, secondly, uh, or I mean, uh, fourthly, here's just some ideas on how to treat people out in the world. Buy a gift card. If you don't give it away, you're, even, you're helping the, that business that you bought the gift card from. Uh, um, tip people big. When you, if, you, if you order your groceries and they come to the door, they're taking a risk by doing that. You know, even if they leave them on the, the front porch, give them a big tip or leave a tip for them. Uh, go for a walk. And when you go for a walk, Stay six feet apart, but smile and wave, say hello, you know, beautiful day. Our beautiful days may be changing, it looks like, on the weather, but uh, we will have sun on Wednesday and then again sometime. Uh, teach your children, you know, this is the thing, is, is help them not to be fearful. Help them to see that Jesus knows what's going on, that Jesus is with them. Sometimes, frankly, they're more willing and ready to believe that than we are as adults. But if they see mom and dad, if they see their caregivers caring about that, then that's, that makes uh, all the difference in the world. And then finally, 
Be still and pray. That is, be still and know that I am God and pray. You know, it's not just the only thing we can do when we pray. It's the best thing that we can do. We can actually care for one another when we pray. It's an active thing. So be safe, wash your hands, use hand sanitizer, don't touch your face. But care for people, reach out and care for one another. I know that I've see, I'm seeing this happen. I'm just, I'm just saying this, I'm putting it out in the air for all of us to remember it and to keep doing it. And, and, uh, and if, if you haven't you know, done that, it's a wonderful way. Getting, getting your eyes on what's going on with somebody else is a wonderful way of um, you know, not uh, helping, you, helping you feel more lifted up yourself and, and encouraged yourself and getting your eyes off of yourself. So the reality is, is the way of Jesus is Jesus, the way of the cross is what Jesus has imagined for us to be a way of life that leads to a resurrection, which is resilience. That's what it is. He's not trying to take us down and discourage us with what he's told us. He's trying to lift us up. That's the whole point. Let me pray for us. Uh, And you pray together with me in your living room as we do. Heavenly Father, And our loving Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us in this time. We thank you for our church family. We thank you that we get to live here in this community, in this town, in this city. Help us to be able to love our neighbors. Even though we are limited in how we can touch, help us to be able to touch, even if it's metaphorically, even if it's through reaching out and caring for one another. May we be the people that are seen as resilient, but not just to make us look good, but to actually change the world, that the things will not go back to the default position of fighting about this and fighting about that. That there will be a togetherness, that there will be a time when we, we have a reset because of this. We're, we're in new territory. This is not new territory for you, but we're in new territory. We've not been the, this way before. We've not seen this happen in our lifetime, but you know all about it. So Lord, just show us the way Give us the encouragement and knowing that you are with us and you are near. It's in your name that we pray. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Just have a couple of announcements as we close today. Uh, The first one is, uh, you'll see on your screen that uh, we're going to be... having an offering moment right here, uh, you know, as reality is, is you know that uh, where we're at as a church family, that's how we, we live and how we keep going and how we move. So just encourage you to go to the website, go to this um, uh, 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 address here and you can, you can give, you can click on give and we'll just, we'll do a virtual offering moment today. Uh, but also want to let you know that there's going to be a podcast. Don't have a name for it yet, but Ben and I are working on a, trying to put together a podcast, and we'll try to do as many as we can during this uh, time, during this moment. So uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted on where that is and how that is and, and how you get a hold of it. We'll probably send out an email about it, but just want to let you know that we're thinking of you, and, and that's just one small thing. This whole staff is working really hard, as I said, to, to communicate with you and to encourage you and to lift you up and to really continue to lead us as a church, even though uh, we are separated by uh, physical distance. God bless you. Stay safe, and uh, I'll see you back here uh, next week.